This audio presentation was pre-recorded and edited for brevity and clarity. Welcome to the Bright Focus Chat. This month's topic is choosing the right doctor for your AMD. My name is Michael Buckley. I'm with Bright Focus. And for people that are new to this chat, let's just take a moment to tell you a little bit about Bright Focus and how today's chat works. Bright Focus funds research uh, all around the world to find cures and treatments for macular degeneration, glaucoma, and Alzheimer's. And we share the findings of this research free of charge through materials that uh, uh, we make available to families that are, that are impacted by these diseases. Today's chat is an extension of that where we have an opportunity to talk to an expert in the field of vision disease and an opportunity for you to ask questions. The, um, we're going to, we'll t- we'll uh, talk for probably about 30 to 40 minutes. And at any time, if you have a question, press star 3 to submit. And when you press star three, you'll go to an operator for a moment who will take your question um, offline and then put you back into the call. Today's guest uh, today uh, is Dr. Milan Brantley from the Vanderbilt Eye Institute. Dr. Brantley specializes in retinal degenerative diseases like macular de- degeneration. And we're also proud to have supported his research on some of the environmental and genetic uh, factors affecting the progression of macular degeneration. Dr. Brantley, thank you so much for, for being with us today. And first, I'd like to start off, just give um, some basic details about what are the various kinds of macular degeneration. Hi, Michael. Thank you for uh, having me on the call. Uh, you start with the best question, I think. And, and I th- it's often very difficult for uh, folks to understand exactly what kind of macular degeneration. And I'm going to refer to it as AMD, or age-related macular degeneration. Uh, people most often hear the terms dry and wet. And where, in some cases, these are helpful terms, they can be kind of confusing. First of all, wet has nothing to do with how your eyes feel. Um, patients will often say, oh, yeah, my eyes are watering, I must have the wet kind. It just really doesn't have anything to do with that. The wet refers to whether or not there is fluid in or underneath the retina. It might be blood. It might simply be fluid. Now, in general, people kind of know that wet macular degeneration or wet AMD is the one that can be treated and dry, not so much. But again, it's a little bit more complicated than that. But the way I like to think of it and the way I tell my patients to think of it is instead of just dry and wet, think of it as early, intermediate, or advanced. And those are kind of the severity stages of macular degeneration. And the way that we figure out what somebody has is basically to take a look on an eye exam. And sometimes we do a little bit of testing. But the hallmark of early AMD are little tiny waste deposits, they're little yellow spots, on or underneath really the retina. And these are called drusen. And people can look these up and look at pictures of them. And if somebody has just a few drusen, that's early AMD. Now, this person probably has not affected at all with their vision. Everything just looks perfect. They have no idea they have early AMD. But the chance of it becoming advanced at this point is really pretty small. Later on, they may develop more drusen or larger drusen. We call these soft drusen. That's what we call intermediate AMD. Now, at this point, that person is at risk for progressing over time to the advanced form of AMD. And that comes in two types. The first is wet. That's the wet AMD that we've heard about. That's the one with fluid. That's the one that people get injections in their eyes for. 
The other type is advanced dry AMD, which is often called geographic atrophy. Now, atrophy just means things have lost their shape. So the cells that used to help you see are gone in the center part of the retina called the macula. So advanced AMD, AMD can be wet or it can be dry, meaning geographic atrophy. We sometimes call that GA. So you can see if somebody says wet AMD, we know that's advanced. If somebody says dry AMD, that could be anything from a few small drusen in its early AMD to pretty advanced AMD with vision loss of geographic atrophy. So do I, I encourage people to, when their doctor tells them, oh, you got the dry AMD, I would say, can you tell me a little bit more about that? Are we talking about early AMD? Are we talking about it intermediate or advanced to give them just a little bit better idea? And I really love to show patients pictures so that they understand a little bit better about how severe the condition is at this time, and then we can talk about what possibilities are for progression or, or, or not. Well, that's, well, great. Thank you. Thank you very much, Dr. Brino. It's a nice overview. You know, we frequently hear about how important it is to get eye exams and treat diseases like macular degeneration and glaucoma, but one of the questions we get asked a lot at Bright Focus is, how do I know the difference between different types of eye care professionals, such as an optometrist, an ophthalmologist, <laughs> a retina yeah. specialist? Uh, I think I can speak for, for many people where that's a tough question. And then not only what's the answer, but then how do I know what's the right one for, for my particular needs? I was wondering if you could elaborate a little bit on opt optometrist, ophthalmologist, and retina specialist. Sure. That's a fantastic question, too. Um, so an optometrist is someone who attends optometry school. It's uh, four years of optometry school, and they do, do some um, uh, clinical rotations in, in this. And optometrists are absolutely fantastic at checking for refractive error and prescribing glasses. They may do contact lenses. They may do low vision. We have all of those specialties in our optometry uh, department here uh, like at Vanderbilt, and many places have that. Optometrists are typically the folks that you're going to find in the Target or the Walmart or someplace like that. And optometrists are not medical doctors, so they don't do surgery. Um, they can prescribe some drugs, like to treat glaucoma and things like that. Uh, routine eye care, absolutely an optometrist is, is fantastic for that. An ophthalmologist is a medical doctor, so four years of medical school followed by a residency in ophthalmology of an additional three years, and sometimes a fellowship. A comprehensive ophthalmologist is the type of person who would do your cataract surgery. So this is someone who does surgeries. Um, they're all medically trained, so can prescribe any medication uh, that any doctor can prescribe. A retina specialist is an ophthalmologist who has then gone on to do specialized training in retina. Most people do a two-year vitreoretinal fellowship and do vitreoretinal surgery and do things like repair retinal detachments and macular hole surgery, things like that. I myself did a re medical retina fellowship where I don't do surgeries, but I see diseases of the retina that can be treated outside the operating room, which is actually most of them, such as macular degeneration, vein blockages, diabetic retinopathy, that sort of thing. Now, you ask a very key question to follow up on that, which was, okay, well, who, who do I need to follow my AMD? And that really depends a lot on two things. The, the first one is how severe is your AMD? And the second one is how easily accessible are these people to you? Um, 
we talked about that early AMD. If you've got a few Drusen and you've got an optometrist that you really like and they're following you and they routinely look in your eyes and they do dilated exams, then I think that's just fine. Once we get into the area of intermediate AMD and you're at a higher risk of progressing to advanced AMD, I think perhaps a comprehensive ophthalmologist who can follow along and have an easy referral to a retina specialist um, would be very appropriate. Again, the key being having a dilated exam. Um, if you're not getting your eyes dilated when you go in to see your eye doctor, you're not getting a comprehensive exam. You know, I, that's easy for us because we're retina specialists and we dilate everybody that walks in the door. But it's important to remember that if you go see your eye care professional and they take a look or they need a picture to tell you whether or not you have AMD, I would really prefer seeing someone who's going to just put dilating drops in your eyes, take a look 15, 20 minutes later and say, you've got it, you've got AMD, and it's at this stage. Now, having said that, sometimes in order to really understand whether it's a very subtle type of wet AMD, we need to do some pictures or specialized tests. And then certainly anybody who needs treatment for wet AMD should be seeing a retina specialist for the injections. Great. Well, that's, no, that's very helpful. Um, for, for people who found uh, your answer very helpful, but uh, obviously it's a lot of information take out to take in. I want to remind folks that Bright Focus offers free of charge a short publication called A Guide to Finding the Right Eye Doctor. And you can get that free of charge by going to our website, brightfocus.org, or remaining on this uh, remaining on the call and at the at the conclusion of the call you can leave a voicemail to get our publication, A Guide to Finding the Right Doctor. And Dr. Brantley, uh, thank you for mentioning the dilated eye exam. I think to me, dilation and, and dilated exam, these are phrases people hear very often. Um, how do I know, if I'm the patient, how do I know either, you know, that I'm going to get one when I'm, when I'm making the appointment? Um, uh, how do I know what, you know, whether I will be receiving one? I don't think you probably do unless you ask. Yeah. So I think it's, you know, if you're going to see the local eye care professional, and maybe that's an optometrist, um, you would want to make sure, you know, I'm 73 years old, I'm coming in for my regular exam. Now, are you y'all going to dilate my eyes? And that's what I would encourage you to ask. And, and hopefully the answer is yes. Uh, and usually on a full comprehensive exam, anybody's going to dilate your eyes. And again, in our, in our clinic, we dilate everyone. Um, and so I, I think that that's a key portion of it. A lot of times people now will have pictures of the retina taken, um, and these are pretty fancy these days, and a lot of times that can be done without dilating the eyes, and this is sold as a um, positive thing. Um, it might be good for screening sort of things, but if you're wanting somebody to really evaluate whether or not you have AMD and its severity, uh, actually putting the dilating drops in, letting those pupils get big, and taking a good look with the microscope is the way to do it. Great. Uh, I just want to remind people, uh, our listeners how they can ask a question. You can push star three at any time, and you'll have the opportunity to ask a question. One question uh, that, that's already come in, Dr. Brantley, is, is um, hereditary, uh, genetic risk factors. If someone, if someone has family members uh, with AMD, uh, what type of risk, if any, are they themselves to, to getting macular degeneration? <laughs> well, that's a question that could have a whole two or three chats about. Um, very complicated question. 
and typically what I tell people, and you know, I'm, I'm an erstwhile geneticist and I'm very interested in the genetic risk factors of AMD, um, but really the most important risk factor is what things look like clinically and age. So <clears throat> there's a lot of information out there about genetics, uh, but the important thing is what your eye looks like and how old you are. So um, if somebody is 35 and they're concerned about macular degeneration because their mother has it who's you know, 65, um, I would just say go get yourself a good comprehensive eye exam, make sure everything's okay, um, and do the sorts of things that we would tell anybody to do, such as don't smoke, number one kind of thing that you can control related to macular, any macular disease. Um, and to, at that point, I would just say, you know, make sure you're eating, eating healthy. Uh, leafy green vegetables and omega-3 fatty acids and maybe a multivitamin if you don't feel like you're getting everything there like that. And those are the main things to do as a, as a young person kind of concerned because there's a family history. If you're 63 and mom is 87 and you've got some changes in the back of your eye, you've already seen a doctor and they know, then again, that kind of trumps just about anything else. Um, there are some... Genet there's some genetic information that can be obtained to uh, get sort of a genetic risk score, but still primarily things are based on what the, uh, what the exam looks like and do you have mild changes, no changes, or pretty severe changes, and then your, your follow-up visits are really based on that at this point. Great. No, uh, great, great. Thank you. Um, we have a question from a Mr. Lee in Missouri who is one has heard about a med, who's been lately been hearing about a medicine called L-dopa and was wondering um, is that something that uh, he should be um, asking his his eye care uh, professional about? Um, I don't know that there is any uh, clinical trial evidence that L-dopa is something for macular degeneration at this point. Um, that's really not something that uh, you know is is recommended that I know of, or you know we certainly hear stuff about a lot of different things being tried for different things, um, but not at this point. No. Sure. Okay. Well, thank you. Um, one one thing we we often uh, hear about is that at the doctor's office they'll they'll mention clinical trials, ask people if they want to participate. Could you tell us a little bit about? Um, uh, in in the um, for macular degeneration, like what would a clinical trial be, or what is that you know, kind of? How should right. someone ask their doctor for a little more information about whether it's a right choice for them? Right. So so clinical trials right now for AMD are mostly of two types, and they're not that many. People think that there are all these clinical trials, and if they go to a you know, a big doctor's office, they're probably going to get themselves in a clinical trial. And then uh, there, are, there are a few. And primarily there are two types. One is looking for a better way to treat wet macular degeneration. Standard of care right now is an injection of one of three different drugs into the eye. And this can be monthly or every other month or every six weeks, kind of depending on the patient and how well they respond. Um, what we would love is to be able to do that less frequently. What patients would love would be able to come in less frequently to the doctor's office. Wouldn't it be nice if they could get 
three injections a year instead of 10 or 12 injections a year. So the drug companies are looking for additions or modifications to the types of injections uh, so that things can last longer or be better. Uh, there are a couple of trials like that. There are also ones where trying, uh, you know, people have tried drops in addition to the injections um, or multiple injections at the same day, which would eventually maybe be put together in one, one injectable drug. Um, so that's the one type. There are not that many of those. The other major type is to look for things that would try to slow down the progression of dry AMD. And really what people can only focus on at this point is the progression of geographic atrophy. Now remember that's the, the advanced form of the dry. You've already lost some cells. And that area of cell loss can expand over time. So if you've got a blank spot in your vision, it can get bigger and bigger over time. We'd all, be able, we'd all love to be able to slow that progression down. And so there are also some injectable drugs into the eye that are being evaluated for their ability to slow down progression of advanced dry AMD. The thought was maybe someday you could give somebody something that kind of keeps them from getting to that point, but those really aren't the things that are under clinical trials right now. That's hard to look at because it takes place so slowly over a period of time, it's hard to study in the face of a clinical trial. Sure. No, I appreciate that. And so speaking of the injections and other treat, treatments, if, if a patient has uh, some questions or concerns about whether they're currently getting the appropriate treatment, um, how, what do you think about uh, patients going for second opinions with, at, at another office? Well, I think that I think any patient seeing any doctor has a, a very reasonable right to seek out a second opinion. If somebody's seeing me, and they're deep down wondering if they're getting the right treatment. Heck yeah, I'll, I'll yeah, go ahead. You should go. See. And sometimes I'll even recommend somebody um, if they'd like for me to, just to make sure that they're comfortable. Um, and I think if the big key is if you feel like you're being rushed, if you feel like you're being hurried, if you don't feel like you understand why you're getting the injections then it's reasonable to say, well, maybe I'll go see somebody else and see if there's anything different. I do caution people, I mean, a lot of times, not a lot of times, but, but sometimes patients will come, for instance, here to Vanderbilt, a large medical center, and they've been being treated elsewhere uh, with an injection of one of these three commonly used drugs, and they're being treated just like the vast, you know, the vast, vast majority of all people in the country, um, you know, with either monthly or close to monthly or monitored very closely and inject when we need to uh, type injections. And they come to the medical center here and they think, well, they probably got something different there. And I really, we don't. The standard of care is really pretty secure across the country. And that is monthly or close to monthly. And sometimes that's every two months or even every three months injections of one of these drugs. So if you're getting injections, you're probably not going to find something that's different or better um, outside of a clinical trial, when that, and still people are trying to figure those ones out. Yeah. Well, no, well thank you. Uh, we have a few questions um, related to this. Mary from Illinois wants to know about sunglasses. Is there one type of color 
um, that is better than the other, or what? what uh, particularly as, a, as it's getting to be late spring and summer, um, what do you recommend for sunglasses for people who um, who may have macular degeneration? Yeah, I, I, you know, for someone with AMD, typically I will just recommend sunglasses, um, and and I don't have a super specific type. A lot of times, a low vision specialist um, for someone with a particular issue will be able to zone in on a, a particular uh, wavelength. But um, you know, I think in general, sunglasses that block the UV light are acceptable and good. Uh, they get the job done. Um, you know, a lot of times people, as we get older, we kind of need more light, and if we block out all the light, then we're not seeing quite as well. And so the lighter tints, uh, the amber colors sometimes um, or benefit patients so that they can have the UV protection while still not blocking off all the light. Getting into very specifics of wavelengths, I would leave that for an individual person. Sure. And I just wanted to... Uh Remind folks, uh, first of all, if you have questions, to press star three. And secondly, I want to uh, make people aware that Bright Focus has a, uh, a, a nice um, short card that, that could fit into your bag or your coat pocket called the Top Five Questions to Ask Your Doctor and helps you prepare um, ahead of time to help you best manage your vision health. That is available free of charge at brightfocus.org, or you could stay on the, uh, the line at the end of this call and leave a message, and we will get you your free copy of Top Five Questions to Ask Your Doctor. Uh, Sharon, from your state of Tennessee, Dr. Brantley, has a question that she would want to ask her doctor, and that is, what are the warning signs of macular degeneration? So I think this is this can be for this question could be asked by two two different kinds of folks, but the answer is pretty similar either way. One is somebody who knows they have early AMD, and they're looking for those warning signs of it becoming more advanced and vision threatening. Um, and the other type of person is somebody who doesn't have any history of AMD, but they're concerned that they want to be able to know what to look out for in case they start having some signs of AMD. Really what it boils down to is blurriness, waviness, and distortion of vision. If somebody has these drusen that I talk about, and they have either early or intermediate AMD, and their vision is 20-20, and everything seems just fine, and then one day they're driving down the road and they realize, hey, that center stripe is a little bit weird today. It's kind of wavy and I'm having, you know, having a little trouble kind of making sure that I'm driving in on the right side. And then I realize, of course, it's not in my left eye at all. It's just my right eye. So things are wavy in my right eye. That's weird. It wasn't yesterday. That's the sort of thing. That's exactly the sort of thing that can go along with AMD going from intermediate to advanced wet AMD because suddenly there's fluid underneath the retina, it distorts the shape of the retina, and that then distorts what we're seeing. So distorted vision, we have a fancy word for it called metamorphopsia, meaning the shape is off. Um, that's the sort of thing that people will see on their Amsler grids that they might have been given by their doctor to take a look at, those that kind of checkerboard pattern of straight and up and down and back and forth lines, if those become wavy, that's the same sort of thing. But people will notice it at uh, you know, door frames. They'll notice it on uh, poles. They'll notice it on uh, lines in the streets. 
things becoming wavy, that's the sort of thing that, huh, they said if everything was diff- anything was different, I should call my doctor. That's exactly what we're talking about. No, I appreciate that. And uh, two things. First, uh, Bright Focus has uh, free Amsler grids, which um, uh, again, leave your uh, name, name and address at the end of the call. We'll get you a, a free Amsler grid. It's magnetic. It can go onto your fridge or elsewhere. Um, one of the questions submitting in advance from Joan from Florida had to do with the Amsler grid, and she was wondering if she were to notice that distortion that you just spoke of, is it, is it too late? I mean, is there irreversible vision loss by that point? Like how... How, how bad are things when you notice distortion? Don't know yet. Yeah. Um, but the thing to do is to make that call. What we don't want is for somebody to say, oh, yeah, you know, my vision got distorted about two months ago, and I knew I had an appointment with you, so I decided to wait. Um, also, you don't necessarily want to rush to the emergency room. If you have a doctor that you know and you're hooked in somewhere, you call them, you tell them what your symptoms are, and you ask them when they think you need to be seen. And that little distortion may mean that you're finding it very early. That may mean you start getting injections in your eye and in a short period of time, things are considerably better. So it's certainly not a, wow, everything's over because I've seen distortion. Yeah. At the same time, there's not a guarantee that because you get treatment that your vision will get back to normal or even improve tremendously. But the only way that you can know is if you get a good evaluation and see if there's blood, if there's fluid, if there's something that needs to be treated. Or if it's even AMD. Yeah, we got uh, no, that's a great point. We got a question via email from uh, a listener in Ohio wondering, is there a specific type of vision change that could indicate that you are turning uh, from dry to wet AMD? Yeah, I think it's that that distortion thing that you're looking for. Um, You know, typically, typically AMD, when it goes from the dry to the wet, is not going to be total loss of vision. It's not going to be missing vision. Usually it's going to be distorted vision. There are a couple of exceptions. You could have a hemorrhage that actually blocks off the center part of your vision. Um, But the, the hallmark of going from dry to wet or going from you know intermediate to that advanced wet is that it can happen relatively suddenly you could wake up one day or just happen to notice that things are a little bit different and it could be something as subtle as that waviness or the door jams being distorted or it could be everything's wavy and really weird when you look at one person's if you look at a person's face it's perfectly fine with one eye and it's all distorted with the other eye and that's one thing I would also encourage everyone to do whenever they feel like their vision may be off a little bit, is close one eye, close the other eye, take a look and try to determine which eye things are happening in so you can tell your doctor. Uh, Don from New Jersey is wondering, um, is there any value to having zinc in your diet in terms of um, macular degeneration? Well, if we look at the age-related eye disease study, the AREDS, and then later on the AREDS-2 study, Both of these showed that a combination of antioxidants and zinc uh, helped slow the progression of AMD over a five-year period. Uh, AREDS looked at beta-carotene and um, vitamins uh, C and E. 
And then ARIDS-2 looked at several different combinations, but led to the idea of replacing the beta-carotene with lutein and zeaxanthin. But in all of those studies, zinc was found to be an important part of that formula to slow things down. So in the context of that, those two very large clinical trials, the answer is yes. Great. And how would I get more zinc in my diet? <sighs> um, I don't know off the top of my head. Um, <laughs> you know, and, and there's not a study, you know, if we're practicing evidence-based medicine here, there's not really probably um, a large study. And, and there probably have been some studying specifically zinc. Uh, but the, the studies that I really kind of go off of are the two, you know, 4,000 patient studies, or almost 4,000, um, saying that a combination of antioxidants and zinc slow things down. Great. Um, just a few more questions. Carol from Ohio was wondering, is there a, a sort of a typical time frame in the progression from dry AMD turning into wet? Like, what is there? Is there Not at all. So, and it, you know, first of all, you could have dry AMD for a long time and not know about it. So you think you just got it last week, but you've actually had it for five years. Um, and the other thing is some people get to the point where they have intermediate AMD, they've got a bunch of soft drusen, they're at risk for progressing, and things look exactly the same for the next 20 years, and it just never progresses. And those, are, those people are very fortunate, and that's great. There are other people who seem to kind of progress through the stages very quickly, and we really don't understand why some people go the first way and some people go the second way. There's a lot of you know, research going on trying to figure out how can we identify those people who are at risk of quickly progressing but right now, we don't know. So is there a time frame that you can kind of hang your hat on? No, not really at all. Yeah. No, I appreciate it. I think this sort of underscores the importance of, uh, of staying in, staying in, re in regular contact. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. No, this is, this is, this is very interesting. Um, before we uh, go to maybe one more question, we'd like to ask our, our listeners to, to complete a poll, uh, a survey to kind of help us with future chats. So if, if, if our listeners wouldn't mind, if you found this ch chat helpful, if you could please press 1. If you found this chat somewhat helpful, please press 2. And if you did not find this chat helpful at all, please press 3. So again, if you found it helpful, press 1. Somewhat helpful, press 2. And uh, not helpful at all, press 3. And uh, before we conclude, Dr. Brantley, do you have any, any sort of final observations or comments about what, what our listeners should be uh, doing to best monitor their, their eye health or any other topics that we, that we touched on today? Well, I think they've already done the main thing, and that's to sign up for something like this to try to understand the disease better. Um, you know, we see a, a, a wide variety in the patient's understanding of AMD. And, you know, I've always felt that from a patient's perspective, you know, if I'm a patient, I want to know everything there is to know about my condition naturally. And I think that patients who understand and can talk about it a little bit better with their doctors and ask questions, you know, what kind of dry AMD do I have? Can you show me the pictures? Can you go over the pictures with me and help me see it? Okay. I really think that, you know, a, an informed uh, patient is going to do a better job of looking for things, is going to do a better job of understanding What's going on? Oh, you know, things are a little bit distorted in that eye. I'm going to check that out and make sure that that's okay. But if you're thinking about it, you got it on your mind, and you've done 
some things like this to better understand it. I think that's very key in you know, just taking care of yourself. Great. Excellent. And just if you don't mind, just one, one more question before we wrap sure. up. Um, let's talk about driving and macular degeneration. What do you, the, your, um, when you talk with your patients, um, how do you uh, how do you address the driving question? Because I think that would get to your point about patients knowing important uh, questions to ask about their day-to-day life. So um, how does macular degeneration affect um, someone's ability to drive? Sure. Well, you know, the answer to that is as varied as, you know, what macular degeneration looks like in people. So somebody who has early AMD has a few changes, their vision's not affected. Truly, their vision is not affected, and that in and of itself does not really affect their ability to drive. Um, Certainly, too, when you're talking about the AMD population, you're talking about a population that's getting older. Um, you know, it's a little bit more of a challenge just in general to drive when you're 85 than it was when you were 55. And reflexes, and everybody's aware of this and needs to make sure that they're driving well. So they're, you know, a little slip in vision could be a significant thing. Um, remembering, of course, that, you know, what we have to go by is visual acuity and where that distortion might be. Because AMD affects central vision, it can be a big player. And if vision is significantly distorted such that the visual acuity goes beneath a certain number, and it kind of varies a little bit depending on what state you're living in, um, then it can become the sort of thing that can affect one's ability to renew a driving license. That, too, varies from state to state as to how people can renew their driver license. Um, whether or not you have a license, it's still a decision that needs to be made, often for the with the patient and perhaps their son or daughter who's with them in the office and is driving them to the appointment and something to talk about. The key thing about driving is that, and we I have this conversation with anybody, no matter what their vision challenge is, whether it's AMD or something else, is that you have to remember that when you're driving, it's not just you out there by yourself, and that you're not, if you're not safe to drive, you're not risking just yourself, uh, but those around you, and you've got two tons of motor vehicle underneath you, and if you're not really seeing well enough, then you're putting other people at risk too. So we have very frank conversations. You know, many times, uh, patients' kids are going to come in, you know, begging that I will tell the patient that they can't drive anymore. Really, that's a decision uh, based on, for the for the patient and the the family. But I lay out all the information. Here's what your visual acuity is. You know, here's what visual acuity needs to be to drive in the state of Tennessee. Yours isn't that. So even though your license has two more years on it, you do not currently have vision good enough that the Department of Motor Vehicles thinks you should be able to drive, just so you know that. And um, so I think that's very important to kind of put it all together. Also, there's a yeah. little bit of, you know, if your vision is okay, but you're beginning to wonder, there's certainly a difference between driving in downtown Nashville at night in the rain and driving on a nice country road on the way to the grocery store out in one of the outlying counties on a bright on a nice sunny day where you can see well and you've driven it 400 times this year. So that that needs to be taken into consideration too. Well, no, I appreciate that. I know I can imagine that must be a very 
difficult. These must be difficult conversations <laughs> for, for everyone in the room. And um, just related to that, uh, uh, one of our uh, most requested publications at Bright Focus is called Safety in the Older Driver, and it kind of has some sort of role play, sample sample wording for some of those difficult conversations. So again, that's something at brightfocus.org. But we're um, running out of time, Dr. Brantley. I just want to thank you so much for 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 being with us today. I think you you really um, helped our listeners understand the different types of eye care professionals, a lot of the right questions to ask um, about dilation and, and clinical trials and treatments. Um, so, you know, very much appreciate what you, uh, what you, what you helped us with today. Uh, about a week it's from my now, pleasure. Thanks for having me. Hey, my pleasure. About a week from now, we're going to have a written transcript of this call on our website, brightfocus.org. Uh, the audio will be up on iTunes and SoundCloud. And... Um, uh, also, a caller, we, people can call in and get written cop, uh, get a written uh, transcript of this call if they're not uh, people who use who use the internet on a regular basis. And building off of today's chat, next month is going to be um, macular degeneration: how to keep your eyes at their healthiest. So I think so. We'll, um, that will be up, coming up on May 25th. You can stay on the line right now and register for that, and and also. Um, submit some questions. So that's going to be how to keep your eyes at their healthiest on May 25th. And um, again, uh, thank you, Dr. Brantley, and thank you to everyone who, who joined with us today. I appreciate uh, people joining us and appreciate the, 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 very, the very thoughtful and interesting questions. So again, thank you very much, Dr. Brantley. Thank you. All right, take care. This concludes the Bright Focus chat for April of 2016, and um, thank you very much. The information provided in this recording is a public service of Bright Focus Foundation and is not intended to constitute medical advice. Please consult your physician for personalized medical, dietary, and or exercise advice. Any medications or supplements should only be taken under medical supervision. Bright Focus Foundation does not endorse any medical products or therapies.